Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, I'm super excited to share the good news that I have written another book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, responds to the cost of living crisis that many people find themselves in. Whether you are paying off a mortgage, you've paid off a mortgage, you aspire to buy a house and have a mortgage, or you know someone who does have a mortgage, this book will have lots of frugal tips and tricks as well as some finance hacks for you. Thank you so much. Yuma Frugalistas and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. My guest this morning is someone who is a personal finance writer, podcaster and educator. But first, I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful for you, please pay it forward by sharing with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast. Kate Campbell is a financial educator who loves talking to anyone who will listen to one of our most taboo topics, and that is money. And you're obviously on the right podcast because I love talking about money, so we're going to have a great chat today. She has also created the RASC Fire Career and Automation courses. She previously worked at Citigroup, InvestSmart and Timelo. Have I pronounced that right? I hope so. <laughs> I'm Leo, but uh, that's all right. <laughs> and she has worked in a number of financial operations and investment administration roles. She is host of the Australian Finance Podcast, and she is author of Buying Happiness, Learn to Invest Your Time and Money Better, which is something we're going to discuss quite a lot about today. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Serena. And as you said in the introduction, sending a podcast that you enjoyed to a friend is a fantastic way to kickstart the conversation about money. So if you find this one interesting, definitely send it to a friend and start that conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much. And congratulations on your book. I know we share a publisher and I know our publisher is very excited about your book. So well done. Thank you so much. It's It's been a bit of a wild ride, but I didn't think I'd be someone that writes a book. Everyone sort of has that dream at the back of their mind. Oh, I'd love to write a book one day. But this one sort of been in the works mentally for a few years, but sort of came to fruition at the end of last year and sort of spent the first half of 2023 working on it. So it's exciting that it finally exists and it sort of pulls together everything that I've talked about on my own podcast over the last seven years about money and investing, but also why we're doing it and why we want to build a better future for ourselves. Wow. It sounds like you cover a lot of great topics and looking at your book, I know it does. I'm really intrigued by the title because it's not just about making money, 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 right? You actually, you delve into the topic of happiness. Yeah, because most of us at the end of the day, we we want to be happy. And a lot of the times when it comes to where we work and what we do with our finances today and in the future, it's ultimately to get something that we want that we think will make us happy, whether it's spending time or money on a holiday this year or being able to retire early in the next 10 years so we have more control over our time. That's why I I chose to call the book Buying Happiness because there's always that debate, can money buy happiness? And there's a lot of research to show you can use your money to increase your happiness. So you can't can't just go to the store and say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Can you give me happiness in return? But you can use your money in different ways, which I'm sure we'll chat through in this episode 
to just give yourself a bit of a happiness boost. And the book really focuses on how can you use your time and your money with more intention to build a life that you love. And while that might seem out of reach for you right now, it's about what small step can you take today and then another one you can take tomorrow to slowly move in a better direction. Wow, that's really deep and it's quite philosophical actually and, and almost a bit spiritual. And yeah, I guess so many of us do get our relationship with money so wrong. We either think of it as being evil or something that we need a lot of and to hold on to. And I don't think there are many authors out there who are willing to talk about how you can buy happiness. Yeah, I we grow up with so many different experiences with money and that's something I, I also discuss in the book because the way we interact with money growing up in our family home, with our school community, with our wider community, even in our workplace today and our partner, that all shapes the way we see money. And so some people hold the belief right now that money isn't something that they deserve or money something that other people have or money isn't a good thing to want. Like there's often that feeling that, oh, it's a bit icky to talk about money or to want to build my wealth. But I really want to sort of focus on that. That can be a really good self-empowering thing. And that money, it's a tool. You get to choose what you do with it. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It can just be a neutral tool that you can use to achieve your goals, whether that's something short-term that you need a new phone this year or you want to take a mini retirement in five years' time. How can you set your finances up and set the way you structure your time as well up that you can achieve the things you want with your finances and see it as a positive thing, that it doesn't have to be something that you don't talk about, that you don't let yourself work towards. Mm, Fabulous. And so we're talking about working towards your financial goals. And you've managed to sort of be a bit cluey about money quite early, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a weird way that I stumbled into everything. I was in the, the Air Force for a very short period of time at 17 and 18 and 19. And so I was in this really weird situation where it went straight out of high school into somewhere where I was getting not a huge amount, but a a full-time income. I was getting superannuation. I didn't have any living expenses because I was was living on base and I had food provided for me. And so I was in this situation where I actually had a lot of money for an 18-year-old and I was spending it. I was spending all of it. And when I got to... <laughs> I can imagine. My, it happens, right? It's, oh, I've got yeah, money. Yeah. You you go from being 16 and maybe having... I had a part-time job, but that money didn't stay in my bank account very long when you're on $10 an hour. But I got to the first six months of being paid a full-time income at 18. And I did my first tax return. And I realized I'd earned money during the year. But then I looked at my bank account and there was nothing in there, like bar a few dollars. And I realized at that point, it took me about six months of sort of earning and spending everything to realize, oh, I probably don't want that to be the rest of my life. And maybe I want to have a bit of money for an emergency. I mean, at 18, I couldn't really think of anything going wrong in my life. Everything seemed great. But at that point, I went, okay, maybe I should have a little bit of money put aside for a rainy day if something goes wrong, if I want to pursue a different career path, which I ended up doing. And it was slowly piece by piece that I started learning. And then I had a lot of time on my hands. So I learned as much as I could in the world of finance over the next year and a half before I decided to actually work and study more in that field. 
Wow, so it was quite a deliberate move then to move from being in the Air Force where you had probably earning more than most women your yeah, age at most. that time. <laughs> Not all, but most into actually working on personal finance. So what motivated you to make the change and was it easy? Well, I was just so interested in personal finance as I learned more. And I sort of just went, why is no one talking about this? Why are my friends not having any of these conversations? And when I tried to bring it up, it usually was not a topic that they wanted to discuss. (laughs) Yeah, most 18 and 19 year olds do not want to talk about superannuation. I really suggest meeting them at a different point because you really need to meet people at where they're at with financial conversations. And if they're really working towards going to Queensland at the end of the year for a holiday, well, that's a great place to meet them where they're at for having a money conversation, not just jumping straight into superannuation. But I digress. I I was really interested and I was just following lots of different finance companies online. And then I saw a, a job opportunity for operations role in a financial technology startup which is where I, my very first role at Timelio. And so I just, I gave it a shot and I ended up there. I started studying a business degree online on the side while I was working full time. And yeah, I, so I think it was pretty easy to make the switch. I was just very much in that mindset where I want to learn as much as I can. I was asking everybody questions. Every time I learned something, I'd take some notes and use that to research some more on that topic. So I was just a very much a sponge, a very young, <laughs> impressionable sponge. And I just soaked up every piece of information and advice I heard. And then slowly over the next few years, I sort of figured out what my own point of views were and what I wanted to invest in and how I wanted to set up my own financial goals. Because there, there does come a point, you take all of that information in. And many of us have gone on a learning journey with our finances where you have to kind of go, okay. I've learned enough that I can take that first step towards my financial goals to setting up my investment. And I don't need to keep listening to as much noise. I can sort of fine tune the channels I get information on and I can start to focus more on what do I want, not what that person is working to over there. Gosh, the noise. There's been so much noise in recent years and I guess so many sort of get rich quick schemes. Crypto is one, and this is not a crypto bashing conversation. It's just like I find every couple of years there's something that's super trendy and people just latch onto it. Earlier this year, I had someone insist that I have a meeting with someone because we like finance, so we would get on. And it turned out that they were spruiking a particular scheme where there was a projected 1,000% return over 18 months. It's not crypto. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And I I just don't understand sometimes why there is so much noise and why there are so many of these, you know, crazy kind of schemes and why people buy into it. Mm, I think you really just have to follow the incentives and where there's money to be made in an industry or by offering a scheme. Sometimes they're legal, sometimes they're scams, sometimes they're frauds, like there's a whole mixture, but just being aware. And I think that's why it's so important that everyone, whether you're going to use a financial advisor, whether you're going to use an accountant or you're going to do it all yourself, you get a base level of financial education because that makes you so much more aware that if someone's promising a thousand percent return in a year, you actually know that sounds like a red flag. I should do some more research here. (laughs) That doesn't sound legitimate because they're trying to play on those emotions of fear and greed because 
I talk to people in the finance industry that work in marketing and they talk about that is what sells to people. And so knowing what tactics can be used against you helps you become a more informed consumer when you're reading financial media, when you're looking at different product documents or websites as well. That's really useful. Fear and greed. I hadn't really distilled it down to that, but I guess there's just so much fear right now. People yeah. really worried about the cost of living crisis. The one I, I tried to discuss a bit more is the, the hope angle. So hope, I think it, it also sells, but it's a little bit of a harder sell in finance. And so <laughs> we talk a lot on the finance podcast about being more optimistic with your finances and investing in the future that you want to see, because it's very hard to invest with a long-term view and to set financial goals for a 10 or 20 year horizon if you aren't optimistic that you'll be in a better place, that the world will be in a better place in 20 years time. It's very easy to get distracted if you're not sort of optimistic and thinking long-term by all the short-term news headlines, because there's always going to be a reason not to sort out your finances, not to pay off debt, not to invest. And if you look in the media, you'll find a reason immediately. So it's about sort of realizing what's what's important to me. What goals do I want to work towards? Can I look forward 10 or 20 years? Which is really hard because we do find it very difficult to connect to our future selves. But how can I connect a little bit more with my future self so I can do some things that are good for me today and good for me in the future? That's a really good way of looking at it, thinking about your future self. I have a friend who wrote a book on parenting, and that was one of her big things, thinking about your future self, i.e. the night before, making lunch boxes and things so you're not so rushed the next day. And I think it's a really good analogy for our financial situation too, and so often we don't. And I wonder too whether this generation with so much concern, particularly around climate change, where people have just given up. Yeah, I really hope they haven't because when you're investing, there's a lot of ways you can be more active as an investor and you have a lot of rights as a shareholder to to vote on issues, to talk to the company at meetings, to you can send them letters. They might not respond, but <laughs> someone's probably reading them back there. And if they get enough support for a particular point of view, then that's something they'll probably explore. And we often think that we're powerless, but we have a lot of control about where we invest our money, where we bank with. We can choose where we bank with now and banks tell you what they're doing with your money and who they're lending it out to and what their policies are on different environmental, social and governance issues. You can choose in most cases where you have your superannuation and how you build wealth and what you do with that money. And there's also that sort of flip side that once you do build wealth and have money, you are able to support more people in your friends, your family, your community, the wider world with those financial assets and also having time, if that's the direction you go in, having more time to give back to your community. They are all really powerful things. And I still have in in my memory, back in the days before we really had any digital ability to do any kind of banking, the early days of when superannuation came in and you didn't have choice. There was just Mm. the fund that your employer set you up to. There certainly wasn't much ESG stuff that happened either and usually those those funds were heavily stacked with mining companies tobacco companies (laughs) all sorts of companies so really I think we have changed quite a lot in terms of choice Is, is is that your impression as well yeah I every time I get a new press release from a new company opening in Australia or 
they've opened in the US or in Asia and they're opening their Australian subsidiary. There are new banks and brokerage accounts and investment platforms and other types of investments popping up all the time. And it's almost got to the point where that choice becomes paralyzing because there are so many options. Once you discover that you can choose where you bank or where you put your superannuation or where you invest and you start to research it, you get to the point where you realize, sheesh, there's about 10 or 20 or 30 options I could choose from. How on earth am I meant to make a decision? And then a lot of us actually just stop at that point. We stop at that point because there are so many decisions to make that we don't move forwards. And I really encourage you, if that if that's you, that you take this as the opportunity to progress one step further. And how I'd recommend doing that is pick, pick three options for whatever you're trying to make a decision with. Pick three options that seem reasonable for you. They don't need to be the perfect option. Then give yourself maybe two weeks to do all the research, play with the platforms. If it's brokerage accounts, you can create accounts, download, try them out for free, and you can close the ones you don't want to use. But give yourself a time frame, so maybe two weeks to do the experimentation and to try those three options. And then at the end of three weeks, you give yourself a deadline to make a decision. That decision might be to make no decision, but I think you really just need to be aware that you made that choice. But make a decision. A lot of these, you can change your mind in the future, but just to take that next step and keep moving with your finances and not let that decision paralysis stop you from continuing on your journey. Because that's something we see a lot in our our community, Serena, is the, the biggest questions we get is, how can I invest? Like, which platform do I use and what do I invest in? And those decisions can stop people for years and years and years. And I really don't want people to get stuck at that point, especially when you're just starting out at the beginning with a very small amount of money. That's very sage advice and I wouldn't have expected anything less from you. I totally agree and and I've noticed something too, which is particularly women my age, some who are very good in their professions and they're really powered ahead and consequently they've spent so much time on, on their careers, they sort of haven't necessarily spent much time on the financial aspect And things have changed so much, like you no longer do your banking with a checkbook, at least most people don't. You no longer just bank with the big four. And many of these these ladies have never heard of things like ETFs or anything else. They might own a home, they might have superannuation, but that's just about it. I guess the speed of change must be really confronting for some. Yeah. I mean, even just over the last seven or eight years of providing financial education, there's been new players come on the scene and people close up shop and leave Australia. And so it's it's hard to stay on top of things. And I really sort of think just stepping back and finding a few simple long-term options that you can use to set your finances up. So sometimes jumping on the latest trend or the latest <laughs> tech startup might not be the right option for you if you're someone who just wants to make a decision that's going to be good for the next 10 years, because you don't want to stay up to date on all the new features and what they're doing because there's a lot of change and development. So maybe the the flashy new startup, which might be still around in 10 years time, but it also might require more fiddling with it to set it up. It might not be the right option. And so if you're really time poor, pick a, like a really simple banking option, a simple brokerage account, a simple superannuation fund that does the job, that doesn't have any flashing lights and giveaways and things, but it it works. And I I think that's a great tip for people that maybe are time poor that 
you just make a few simple decisions and not try to stay on top of every new development in this space. Once again, great advice. And I've been really surprised actually by the sort of growth and death of a lot of neobanks. It sort of happened so quickly, like so much excitement with a number of them and then they a number just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to start a bank and I believe it should be in Australia, but it does mean that certain banks get a lot more airtime than others and it's very hard to be a smaller player in the industry. And most of the smaller players that were tech startups in the last decade, they have gone on to sort of become part of a larger bank now. So you still get the technology and the features, but you also get the backing of the huge institutions. I think it's quite interesting. There is, I think, jumping around. You don't really want to jump around too much on all the new players. Like if you've got a lot of time and you find investing really fun and sorting out your finances really fun, well, go for it. But if you just want something simple to to last. Yeah, you don't need to look at all the flashing lights. And yeah, I think that the change thing is interesting as well, because you also change along the journey as well. And what you need and your risk tolerance, what your goals are changes. Sometimes you do have to find a new solution that fits your current situation. Yeah, I agree with so much of that. Like definitely looking at my life, my risk Tolerance has changed when I was suddenly single just after I left Mm. my ex-husband and I had two children. I was very risk adverse. So my investment strategy was really just paying down the mortgage because I didn't have much of an emergency fund at that point. And I look back now and think, well, it was kind of a bit of a missed opportunity. I could have been contributing more to super. I could have been doing other things. But it certainly helped with that feeling of overcoming scarcity mindset, knowing that I had a roof over my head and didn't have to worry about ever getting defaulting on payments, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like looking back with hindsight, you might, now you know so many other things. You're like, I could have done all of these other things with my money, but at the time that was probably the right decision for you, gave you that sleep at night factor and made you feel secure. And that's the thing. Sometimes we regret what we did with our finances in the past. That's something else I explored in the book, that feeling of financial regret. So many people write in and say, I wish I'd started five (laughs) or 10 or 20 or 40 years earlier, but I'm I'm glad I'm doing it now. And I think that's, you've just got to focus on what you're doing now. At the time, you would have made the best decision with the information you had at the time. And for a lot of people, the decision they made at 18 to spend all their money, well, they didn't have all these financial resources at the time. They didn't have the goals they do now. They didn't have the resources and support and career they do now. So I don't think you can you can judge your past self based off the information you have now. And so <laughs> I think it's really important for anyone that might be feeling regrets about a past financial mistake is really you can acknowledge it, you can learn from it, but also focus on the opportunity in front of you because that's where the growth, whether it's your emotional, your life, your career or your investment growth is going to happen. That's going to happen in the future. Well said, and I agree. It's You can sometimes hold yourself back so much, can't you, thinking about the, the mistakes you've made in the past mm-hmm. rather than thinking about the future that you have ahead of you. So with the cost of living crisis, obviously a lot of people are really struggling. And you do talk about how to deal with debt in your book. How would you advise someone who came to you, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbour, who was really struggling with debt? Where would you suggest they start? The first place I start now, which I probably wouldn't have started 
a few years ago when I didn't know as much is really finding out do they just want to have a supportive ear or do they want you to help them solve the problem? And I think that's great advice. If anyone comes to you of anything about their finances, sometimes people just want to vent. They don't want you or they're not ready to go into problem solving mode. And so sometimes that's the first step of just listening because they might want to share how they ended up in that situation or they might just be really struggling and angry with the world at the moment and they just want to vent. But if they do want your help, and I think people really have to have to want the help when it comes to getting out of debt and investing, it's not something you can force on people. I think the first step is just helping them figure out all of the different pieces of information because sometimes we can get into a few different debts and it can feel very overwhelming. We're getting letters in the mail, we're getting emails, and we're not really sure what's going on. So helping them where you can find all of that information on the different debts, the payments, the due dates, all of that sort of stuff. And then if they're happy to, sort of pointing them in the direction of a financial counsellor. So there's a resource called the National Debt Helpline. You've probably discussed it on the show before. Fantastic free, confidential, qualified financial counsellors who are trained to actually, once you bring that pile of piece of papers with all the different debts, they can look through everything and help sort your situation out for you. And that's what they specialise in. And so they can find the most suitable plan to help you sort out your debt. They can tell you, well, maybe you should prioritise this one over this one for this reason. They can also talk to a bank's hardship team or any other financial provider's hardship team if you're going for a challenging time to negotiate maybe a pause or a reduction or things like that. You can also talk to your bill providers as well. So that's a really great place to start. If, if your friend's done that or maybe they're dealing with a smaller debt, so it might just be a friend wanting to get out of a $500 buy now, pay later bill they've <laughs> accumulated, which, which might be more relevant to my age group, I'm not sure, Serena. I don't know that the scheme has been, they, they just skyrocketed, but then the, the whole system seems to have some systemic problems now, but yes. Yeah. I think like coming up with, helping them come up with a plan to repay that debt, that can quite be quite difficult. So there's quite a few steps involved because if you don't have an idea of what's coming in and out of your bank account each month, so your income and your spending, you don't necessarily know how much is left over to then put money towards repaying that debt. So I feel like there's a few layers involved, but then helping them if they want help coming up with a budget and figuring out their income and their spending and are they able to carve out a bit of space each month? Maybe there's $100 left over each month that can be put towards paying off that debt. And I have a final question for you. Do you have a frugalister tip to share? My favourite one at the moment is going to farmer's markets. Now, sometimes it can be a lot more expensive, especially if it's (laughs) organic, custom-made produce. But some of them I've been going to recently around the outskirts of Melbourne, uh, Victoria. They have had some really great deals, especially if you go in the morning before everyone turns up to get like things for a dollar, two dollars. I would got two avocados for a dollar the other day that were perfect for guacamole. Finding the right farmer's market that has some good deals that's on regularly that you can go to and get a heap of your fresh fruit and veggies in conjunction with Aldi. Aldi is always a good option. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a bit of an Aldi fan as well. The only thing is I have to stay away from the middle aisles. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. Well, the middle aisles, I think, can just put you over your budget, like going to Target or Kmart. Yeah, exactly. I do like shopping. So I might be frugal, but I do like shopping. Kate, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. So much wisdom in there. How can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Kate Campbell AUS. You can find the Australian Finance Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can grab a copy of my book, Buying Happiness, Learn to Invest Your Time and Money Better at Dimix, Amazon and Booktopia. And it is a fabulous book, so make sure you grab a copy. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Serena. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Star